You are listening to the Dr. Michelle Corral Show. It is our prayer that as you listen to these podcasts, that you will receive your deliverance, breakthrough, anointing, and highest destiny. Our prayer is that your love for Jesus Christ be first in your life above all things. Now, here's Dr. Corral. This, beloved saints, is a wonderful demonstration in God's Word how God can take the darkest day, the darkest moments, the most difficult traumas in our life, the darkest days of our life, and use them toward destiny. That every single person in this place that has a moment or a time or a day that you can relate to that was the darkest day of your life, you will be able to look back at that darkest day and say, Lord, I can look back now at this day and say how you used it for destiny in my life. All right? For you, the darkest day of your life may be when somebody you loved passed away. For others, it may be the darkest day of your life may be when your career collapsed. It could be when your very best friend betrayed you and said things to you that you'll never forget. For some of you, the darkest day of your life can be when you were a child and violation took place against you and you didn't have the inward ability to be able to process the pain. And the shame of that experience has been stuck in your soul all the days of your life. But today I want you to know that God is able and God is going to break that syndrome off of your life. Amen. Today, beloved saints, I want us just for a moment to speak to you just for a moment about the, how we develop toxic ties to the pain of our past because toxic ties are something that God wants to deliver us all from. We saw here in Judges chapter 11 that toxic ties can come from our environment. And here we see that actually for those of the, us that don't know what a toxic tie is, a toxic tie is a soul tie. And a soul tie can be to our environment, it can be to our emotions, it can be to some experience that we went through, uh, something that happened in our life where we felt ourselves tied to that experience. Um, sometimes, beloved saints, we don't even realize it, but that our own environment can actually um, affect us in such a way that our emotions can be affected through what we've been through. For example, in this situation with, with Yifta, the Bible begins teaching us that Yifta's life is not going to be dictated by his difficulty and by his, by his labels. That this, the, the text begins to teach us here today that Yifta's life is going to be not dictated by his difficulty, but actually is going to be defined by his destiny. Notice how the scripture starts it out. It says, Jephthah was a mighty man of valor. All right, it starts out telling us who he's ordained to be and who he truly is. But then it goes into the difficulties that he had to face. And he was the son of a harlot, the Bible says, and Gilead begat Yiftah. So here we see that he starts out with such a very strong social stigma that it actually um, becomes so strong that his brothers take advantage of this shameful past that he's really not even responsible for. Something that he experienced in his life through his mother's mistake and through his father's 
uh, refusal to marry his mother. And, and therefore, there is the stigma, the social stigma that his brothers are going to use to try to drive him out of his own destiny because of it. I want you to put your hands up right now and say this with me. The pain of my past cannot dictate my future. And, and so, beloved, uh, toxic ties can work in many different ways. We can have ties to our emotions. We can have ties to our environment. We can have ties to the pain of our past. We can have ties to familiar fears. Some of us, whether we realize it or not, have developed anxiety syndromes from these toxic ties that keep us stuck in a place of pain. There's two different types of ways today that I want to explain how um, anxieties actually begin in our life. There is what's called state anxiety. State anxieties come from momentary trials that we're going through. For example, something that happened that, that isn't going to stay forever. It's just maybe something we're going through right now. Maybe we lost a job. Maybe we have to deal with someone whose personality is changing. Maybe we have to deal with a child that's gone a little bit rebellious. Or we have to deal with uh, anxieties that come up in our life that are just momentary. They're going to pass. They're not long-term. And we have to learn how to deal with those anxieties. But then there is another type of anxiety that the Bible, that the Bible teaches us about and that also that we need to know, and that is not just state anxiety, which is momentary, temporary, and that just lasts for a short period of time, but then there's what's called trait anxiety. And trait anxieties are developed many different ways. One of the ways can be from our DNA, and another way that trait anxiety can be developed in our life is through our environment, what we've gone through, things that we've been trained to think about ourselves and things that we've been trained, how we've been trained to process life. It can develop trait anxieties. Here we see that trait anxiety was definitely an issue with Yefta. Why? Because his environment, his in total life, had told him he was not good enough because of his mother not being married to his father. And as a result, his brothers that were married to, um, they had the same father, but they didn't have the same mother. His brothers who were married to, uh, 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 his brothers who were, uh, his father was married to their mother, used that experience to a lever used as leverage of pain against Yifta to make him feel like he was less than. And as a result, Yifta, who actually was the heir to Gilead's wealth, was driven into a place where he could no longer be with his brothers, no longer be with that family, because his brothers wanted to lay hold on his, his wealth the wealth that was going to come to him from Gilead. And this sometimes is what happens when the enemy tries to drive us out of our destiny. He will use fear. He will use anxiety. He will not just use state anxiety, but he will use trait anxieties, things that we've been trained to believe about ourselves where sensitivity and emotions trigger, can trigger those anxieties to make us make decisions or make us feel like we have to be 
driven out of our destiny, okay? And sometimes these trait anxieties are induced by familiar fears that we have in our life or some type of circumstance that we're that we have to deal with on a continual basis. So today, God wants to deal with these anxieties and these fears. And sometimes those fears can keep us stuck. It drove Yifta out. He didn't need to leave. He was the heir of, of, Gilead's, uh, of Gilead's wealth. Gilead was actually, biblically speaking, he was the grandson, the great-grandson of Joseph. All right, so the wealth of Joseph went on to the son of Joseph, who was Manasseh. Manasseh's son was Machir, and Machir's son was Gilead. So we see that the environment was a mass amount of wealth that his entire family had managed to drive him out of that destiny and to make him go to another place where he was strange, where he didn't know, where it wasn't his environment, a place where he was forced to survive. And some of us right now feel like we've been driven out of our destinies and we've been driven to a place where we feel like we're forced to survive. So when we are in a place where we feel like we're forced to survive, this is where God's deliverance is going to come into our life because when we're in a place where we feel like we're forced to survive, we develop certain things that help us survive, that help us make it through. And we don't, we don't, um, necessarily want to be like that we don't necessarily want to have to resort to some of the things that we've had to resort to in order to stay alive but this is what happened to Yefta, but God has seen it. And I'm here today to tell you that God is going to call you out of that place where you feel like you've been distanced from your destiny because he's got something for you that is so great. And what looks like the darkest day of your life is actually going to be used for the greatest moment of your life. God is going to use it for his honor and for his glory. All right, so I want you to see that Yifta was driven into a land. And notice in the text, go to verse 3 of Judges 11. And notice in the text there it says, he went to dwell in the land of Tov. All right, it says Tob in English, but Tob in Hebrew, it actually translates Tov. And the word Tov in Hebrew is the word good. All right, so you, you want to think what good can possibly come out of your own brothers being treating you in such a way that they drove you out of the place of your inheritance and made you get out of the house because of the stigma of shame that they were placing upon you and going into that land um, away from the land of Israel into a place called Tov. Okay, Tov is a name that the prophet Samuel actually gave to that place. Okay, we don't know if that is the original name of the place. All right, but it is a place, and Samuel, throughout his writings, as we shared last week when we were sharing in um, the book of Ruth, that oftentimes Samuel, he's the author of the book of Ruth and author of the book of Judges, Samuel the prophet, when he would want to say something prophetic or give us some prophetic insight, he would change the name. 
like for example last week we saw how he changed the names of the sons of Elimelech to Malon and Kilion okay Malon meaning ailing and Kilion meaning extinction nobody's going to name their child ailing and extinction but these names were changed to show us the fruits of selfishness all right and the same thing now we have here that he is changing. We don't know if this was the original name of the place because it is in a place, a city outside the land of Israel. It's in the land of the Ammonites, but yet it has a Hebrew name. Okay, so obviously we know this is not the original name of the place. The name of the place is Tov. Tov in Hebrew means good. So you might say, how can the darkest day of my life be good? Because that's exactly what happened to Yifta. Okay, he was driven out, never um, a, a, in a very horrible way, a way of complete rejection from his brethren, a way of feeling completely socially stigmatized by the shame of his mother and his father not being married, and left in this place to try to survive. Okay, say this with me the darkest day of my life is going to be used for Tov, for good, okay? And we see that actually what happened there is the Bible tells us, if we look at the word of God, the Bible tells us here in verse, in verse four, it says, and it came to pass in the process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And, and immediately his brothers go and call him out of the land of the Ammonites. So. In order to understand what's really going on here, I have to explain to you from a historic standpoint what's happening, okay? He went to live in the land of the Ammonites outside the land of Israel, which the prophet Samuel is saying is tov, it's good because God's going to use it for great good and in just a moment you're going to see, all right? But the Ammonites hired him to be like a, like a robber. Not a robber, but a protector, like guerrilla warfare. That he would, um, that he would go from village to village, from place to place, and protect the Ammonites. That's the only way he could survive. So it wasn't like a robber. I meant to say like a, a guerrilla warfare, like you see in villages even today. You have certain people that are resisting um, a takeover or certain people that are resisting domination. So they form together little bands and groups. Well, Yifta joined himself together with vain men and began to protect the whole region of the Ammonites um, from the people in the villages from the Ammonites. Every time the Ammonites would come and invade, Yifta would know how to protect the little people. So when the, the war began, the Ammonites invaded Israel, there was nobody in the land who was more qualified than Yifta. So you have to understand that divine providence had a hand in it. When we say divine providence, we mean the hidden hand of heaven that's actually maneuvering every part of our life, whether we realize it or not. The God that we serve is able to take the darkest days of our life that we just couldn't believe that we went through such a thing where we might have cried ourselves to sleep for the rest of our life because of something that happened to us. But the hidden hand of heaven was really maneuvering and, and what we might call even manipulating the circumstances because it's going to turn around and be used for the glory of God. Can I get a witness somewhere? 
So touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, if you could just survive the storm and if you could just go through this little bit of test, you are going to come out with God's best because God does have his best after the test. Can I get a witness somewhere? you to see it really really clearly that he went into the land and this is why Samuel calls it Tov because God already had a good plan the Bible says see the plans that I have for you saith the Lord the plans that are of good and not of evil to give you an expected end so I want you to know that the anointing in the house today is an anointing where God is going to take the very darkest thing of your life the darkest day of your life the darkest circumstance of your life, the most excruciating day of your life, and God is going to use it for his glory. He's going to turn it around 365 degrees. Now what God did here is he was forced to go into the land of the Ammonites and brought down to a very shameful position to have to defend the um, people in the villages from the Ammonites. But he learned about where they, where they, how they were, what kind of military might they had, all of their strongholds, all of the places where they were, so that when the children of Israel were invaded by the Ammonites, guess who they had to get? The very brothers of Yifta had to go to Jephthah and say, you know what? We drove you out of here, but we're really sorry. We need your help right now. Would you come back and would you be the head over us? You see how divine providence, how the hand of God can maneuver every event in our life and turn it around and use it for his glory. Can I get a witness somewhere? All right. So today, beloved saints, what I want us to see is not only how God brought this to pass for Yefta, because Yefta ended up being called back and was um, the leader over the land, uh, the entire land, and he became a judge. And he became a very respected and got back not only his place in his position, but he got back all the wealth that the enemy had stolen from him and his brothers were literally at his feet. So we need to see several things when we look at Yifta. Number one, we need to see that our life is not limited by the labels that people call us. All right, that is why the Bible begins with that Yifta was a mighty man of valor. It doesn't start out with his weakness. It doesn't tell us about his mother first. It doesn't tell us about his social um, uh, things that he was deprived of socially first. It tells us that he was a mighty man of valor first. I want you to know that God already sees you in the finished product. God already sees you successful. God already sees you as the head and not the tail. God has already decreed that your destiny, that you will rise above whatever it is that you're going through and that you will be successful in the kingdom of God all right the second thing we need to see here is how God uses our pain to train for greatness say this with me the God that I serve 
uses my pain to train for greatness. This is exactly what happened. If he had not been driven out of his own land and gone into the land of the Ammonites, this is where, in a very painful condition and a rejected place, in a place where he felt isolated and separated from his own brothers, a place where a social stigma was so strong that it made him feel less than his own brothers so that they could try to get a hold of his wealth and get a hold of his of his inheritance by driving him out and using shame to control his life. Put your hands up right now and say, I'm not going to settle for less. I'm not going to be in a condition where uh, take a job or take a position that's below what God wants me to do because I feel forced to do it because of shame. In the mighty name of Jesus today the God that I serve is going to break that shame off of me because I am being delivered from the shame syndrome in the name of Jesus can I get a witness somewhere okay so here we see saints here we see he was driven into this place and God used it for his glory that's why Samuel calls it Tov and everything that he went through was instruction for his future. And so God is using it. God's using this painful place in his life, this painful experience to train him for greatness because now he's going to come back and rule. And say this with me, I will reign in the place of my shame. See, he was shamed. He was driven out. He was said that you're not good enough. He was said that you are, your life is limited by the labels because you are the son of a harlot. You are never going to get anywhere. Your environment and your background has made you who you are. But today I want you to know that the God that we serve can use every bit of pain to train for greatness. Touch your neighbor and say, God is going to use everything I've ever been through as an opportunity for success in Jesus name touch your neighbor and say I may have to try harder I may have had to do it the hard way I maybe had to go through a few things other people didn't have to go through but I'm not ashamed to say that the God that I serve is using my pain to train for greatness can I get a witness somewhere hallelujah so if you've been through um, anything in your life, whatever you went through, okay, whether you went through um, rejection, whether you went through pain, whether, what, whether you went through a time where you were left on your own, whatever the case may be, whether you were abandoned, whatever it is, God has chosen and he's using that pain to train for greatness. Now today, beloved saints, I want you to open your Bibles because that was just a little bit of a warm-up for the word that the Lord has for you. Okay. I just, I just had to get you prepared, okay? You know how, you know how when you have, um, when you're trying to get everything ready, 
and you got to get them. Yeah, I, I don't want to use the word tenderizing the meat, okay? But you got to marinate it a little bit, okay? Some of us are not ready for the anointing, so we kind of got to get marinated a little bit before God begins to go down deep into that stuff, okay? So put your hands up and say, I'm getting ready for God to go down into my stuff and get me ready for deliverance today. Can I get a witness somewhere? Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 30, beloved saints, and let's see the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. 1 Samuel chapter 30 is very apropos because we're going to see, you know, sometimes we are reduced to do some things in our lives that, that oh, we, we wish we didn't have to do. All right. Uh, we can never judge somebody by what, what, they, what they have to go through in a time when they have to survive. I think everybody in this room might have been through a time that you had to survive. And so you just had to do what you had to do. Okay? People don't understand that we judge each other, especially in the church. When people are trying to survive, they're trying to survive a storm of a, of a divorce or they're trying to survive a storm of a financial collapse or they're trying to survive some type of a storm of some emotional breakdown that they might have had or whatever the case may be. But we can never judge somebody by what they do in order to try to survive the storm. In this case, this is a classic example of someone who's trying to survive the storm, and that's King David. All right, King David is going to be living in a place called Ziglag. Now, let me just tell you why he's living in Ziglag. He's living in Ziglag because King David, as a man, has the character, and you will see here, he has character traits that are so ab absolutely phenomenal in this, in this part of his life. Okay, this is long before he's older. In this part of his life, we're going to see that uh, King David is being shaped by a lot of things in his life that it's the same way the Holy Spirit shapes us when he's preparing us for destiny. Okay, when we see in 1 Samuel chapter 16, when Samuel took the horn of oil and went to anoint David to be king, uh, to be king, he did not anoint him then to be king over Israel. He anointed him to be king. Okay? The, the Bible doesn't say that Samuel said, thus saith the Lord, you're being anointed to be king over Israel. Because later he became king over Israel. And obviously that was his destiny to become king over Israel. But the statement, you are being anointed king over Israel today, is not made in 1 Samuel chapter 16. He is, being he is being anointed to replace Saul, but he is anointed to be king unto the Lord. The Bible says, I have found me a king. All right, why are you weeping over Saul all night? Because Saul lost the kingship, and now Samuel is going to be sent to anoint David. And so that first anointing is really an unusual anointing. Let's look at it in 1 Samuel chapter 16 before we look at 1 Samuel 30. And I want you to see it here in 1 Samuel 16. The Bible says, The Lord said unto Samuel, How long are you going to mourn over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? And the Bible tells us in verse 13, if we look at the word, verse 13, the Bible says, but, uh, And the Lord 
The Bible says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So this was the day of David's anointing for his, for his future. This was the day of his anointing. And obviously his future is to be king over Israel. All right. And obviously this is a day when he was anointed to be in that position. But this was not a public ordination. This was not a public declaration that you are going to be the king of Israel. This is something between David and God. This is something in his heart that he knew that God was putting in his heart for his future. And there are many of you right now in this room. You have not been publicly, you have not had a public platform yet to be able to launch what God has told you you are going to do. But you already know from the spirit of the Lord because you already have that experience of the spirit of the Lord taking the oil and putting it on your head. And that oil is going to is going to remain with you and that oil that you felt and that anointing that you felt was the anointing that God promised you your prophetic destiny and your prophetic purpose I don't know how many people have not yet stepped into their platform but you know that God already made you that promise and you're already carrying an anointing for that future can I get a witness here if that's you all right, what actually is going to transpire here is that David, who's being anointed, and obviously the manifestation of the anointing is going to be made very clear to King David. He's going to go immediately out, and the first thing he's going to do is become Saul's armor bearer, and he's going to love Saul, and he's going to love Saul so deeply, and he's never going to change that type of love that he has for Saul. This is going to be a test, okay? Okay. And then from there, he's going to slay Goliath, the obvious sign of the anointing to bring giants down. Touch your neighbor and say, tonight we need the anointing because the sign of the anointing is to bring down the giants. Can I get a witness somewhere? Okay. So in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he is going to bring down the giants. He brings down Goliath. But after 1 Samuel 17, the the understanding of what this anointing was all about was an anointing to prepare him for his ministry. You see, there's three stages of, of anointing in our lives. There's an anointing, there's a stage that prepares us for what God's got for us. Then there is a partial release of that destiny. Then there is the fullness of that destiny, okay? And for David, the anointing with Samuel, that anointing was the uh, stage of his life to be anointed, to be prepared, because soon, many years after, he's going to be anointed to be king of Judah, and then later he's going to be anointed to be king over all Israel. So he's going to have three anointings. Put your hands up right now and say, today I'm going to receive those three anointings for my deliverance. Can I get a witness somewhere? Okay. So we have to understand what this first anointing is all about because we'll not understand what's going to happen in 1 Samuel 30 until we understand what's going on here. Okay, this first anointing that David is going to be anointed with is the anointing to see does he have the character traits within him to be king. And every test that's going to come his way is going to prove that you have to be king first inside 
before you become king outside. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Okay, so many of us want the ministry, but we're not willing to go through the process. So the very first anointing that King David was given was the anointing to pass the test of the process, to go through the process of being proven for destiny. Say this with me. I need an anointing to go through the process of being proven for my destiny because some of those things that I'm going to go through I'm gonna need the anointing to carry me through I'm not gonna make it hello somebody can I get a witness okay some of the testings that you're gonna go through before you get into the place of ministry that God has ordained for you those testings are gonna be so great that you're gonna have to have the power of the anointing to be able to make it through Okay, you're not going to be able to make it through on your own. You're going to have to be, you're going to have to receive that power of God to be able to make it. And that is what David's first anointing was all about. It was between him and God. God told him, you are going to be king, but it was not something public. The public did not know. Many of you in this room, nobody knows really who you are yet. Nobody really knows where you're going. Nobody really knows what God has put inside of you. But you know what God has put inside of you you know who you are it's between you and God and some of us right now in this room are in the place of going through the proving process of destiny and we need the anointing to make it can I get a witness okay so we need to see here beloved saints that this anointing to make it David is going to be faced with Goliath is not a problem. Touch your neighbor and say, enemies that you see are really not a problem. <laughs> say this with me. It's the enemies you never expected that can really be the problem. Hello? Hello? Okay. In Hebrew, the word, the word for enemy is the word oyev. And sometimes it's very closely related that word is very closely related to another word that, that is a, a word that denotes not knowing the person's your enemy. Okay? So oftentimes we come up against enemies that we never thought were our enemies before. Okay? So King David is anointed to be Saul's armor bearer and he slays Goliath because the anointing is upon him and through divine providence, he becomes the king's son-in-law. And as a result of being the king's son-in-law, he becomes so successful from the anointing that's upon him that that anointing is now going to make him be in a very vulnerable position because Saul is going to become extremely jealous of his anointing, okay? And, and as a result, the Bible tells us that the maidens came and they sang before the tribes of Israel, and they sing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And they danced with the timbrel, and Saul said, they've ascribed to David tens of thousands, but to me, they've only ascribed thousands. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 18 that he eyed David from that day forward. And the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord left Saul and an evil spirit came upon him. 
All right, so now David is going to be tested with the powers of darkness. Okay, the scripture continually tells us that Saul had a, an evil spirit. All right, and that evil spirit operated in Saul every time David came around. Every time David's name was mentioned, the evil spirit became very riled up. Okay, sometimes I want you to know that the very anointing that you're carrying, okay, the very anointing that you're carrying, the enemy gets riled up because he knows where you're going and he'll do anything in his power to try to stop you from getting to the place that God has ordained for you. So as Saul continued, he he obviously still remained king for us a, a while. The Bible says that Saul reigned one year and the second year, uh, two years of his reign. What does that mean? It doesn't mean Saul only reigned two years, but it means only two years Saul was anointed in his 20-year reign. So 18 years he spent pursuing David with an evil spirit. All right? So now we need to see something. David's test was how are you going to react to Saul? Obviously, David had the ability with, with, within himself and even with the men that were gathered unto him to every time Saul pursued him to take Saul down. Okay, he had the ability to fight back. He had the ability to wipe him out. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. But David's test was, David's test was, I'm not going to retaliate, and I'm not going to use revenge. Okay? This is something extremely important for us to understand because revenge is sometimes, and, and resentment sometimes can be hidden in our heart for things people do to us that are so unfair. Resentment, revenge. You know, what is revenge? Does it mean you just take a baseball bat and smash somebody's car? Or is revenge really, sometimes we use revenge with gossip. We get back at somebody by gossiping about them. Or revenge, we treat somebody uh, a different way because they did something to us, so now it's the cold shoulder. Okay, this is a form of revenge. Okay, or we don't talk to somebody. We give them the silent treatment. And we just say, I can't talk to them. God told me not to talk to them. Okay, whatever they we come up with that has no grounds in scripture we use that as our excuse okay and we don't talk to individuals well i'm just going to tell you today what david's test was david's test was and this is why the whole psalms book of psalms is written the ones that david wrote he compiled the book of psalms he divided it into five sections he didn't write all the psalms but he wrote most of the psalms and most of these psalms were psalms that he defines the enemies of his soul. The enemies of his soul were not just physical enemies. The enemies of his soul were his own emotions to try to get him to sin. Okay, to sin with his mouth, sin with his thoughts against Saul, and to take revenge against Saul. Because he, he, if he would have taken revenge... And if he would have become resentful and tried to even defend his own self with Saul, then David would never have been able to come to the place that God is going to bring him. All right? 
So we need to understand the character traits of David. Look at Psalm 39, verse 1, just for a moment, so you can understand what we're talking about. Psalm 39, verse 1. Psalm 39, verse 1. Let's put it up on the screen really quick, and we're going to see this. Um, the Bible says, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with the bridle while the wicked is before me. Who was the wicked? It was Saul. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take heed to my ways. Okay, why is David saying I'm going to take heed to my ways? Because David had a natural tendency toward anger. All right, this is why the Bible calls him ready. He was ready. The Bible says the young man was ready when he came to be anointed by, by Samuel. What does it mean to be ready? Ready is a, a Hebrew euphemism that is the same thing as somebody who turns red a lot. doesn't mean he was a redhead. It means he was hot-blooded. He was easily angered, okay? He could get angry over the littlest things, okay? But now we're going to see that the very test that David's going to be tested with is to be silent when the wicked is before him and to not use revenge against the enemies of his soul. And the enemies of our soul are not just enemies who want to take us down physically, but they're enemies that want to take us down spiritually. Okay? They're enemies that want to keep us stuck in bitterness or stuck in revenge or stuck in um, resentment or stuck in a place where we cannot forgive or stuck in a place of depression or whatever the case may be because uh, because we don't want to forgive all right so in this case it says I was done with silence I held my peace even from good sometimes when somebody's trying to set a trap before you you can't even talk to them even in a good conversation Okay, and this isn't the silent treatment. This is not what I'm talking about. But it's like, well, how do I answer them? Because if I say this, they're going to twist it. And if I, if I say that, they're going to twist that too. So how am I going to answer somebody that hates me to such a degree that their jealousy is so seething that whatever I say, they're going to twist? Okay, but David's concern was not, Lord, make Saul stop persecuting me. David's concern was, God, don't let me sin with my mouth. And God, don't let me sin with my heart. And God, don't let me take revenge on this man. Can I get a witness somewhere? So the entire book of Psalms tells us about this. So now, what is David going to do? If he can't defend himself, and Saul is the king of Israel, and everyone is going to listen to Saul. Sometimes people in authority, you know, influence is a very dangerous thing when it's used wrong. You can influence people and control them to hate somebody. You can influence and control people to hate a people, like common. Okay? You can use that... that that control to turn people against people, okay? You can use it by threatening, by whatever you want to do. And in this case, Saul completely controlled the nation to turn against David, to make him look like the victim and David to look like one who's trying to kill him. 
So rather than David defending himself, which he did not want to do because he didn't want to sin, David had to make some choices. For several years, he did what he could to survive, and he went to the wilderness, and he lived in the wilderness, okay, so that he fled from Saul, not because he was a coward, not because he couldn't have wiped him out, because he could have taken Saul's troops on in no time, David has slain his thousands. Saul has slain his tens of thousands. He could have easily done it without any problem, wiped the guy out. But he didn't. He went to the wilderness. And when it came to a point that Saul continually hunted his soul on a daily basis, hunt, hunted, him, hunted him, hunted him, hunted him, that finally David escaped out of the nation of Israel. And he went to the land of of the Philistines to live among the Philistines as a fugitive. All right, this is extremely unbelievable. Why? Because David was the arch enemy of the Philistines. He slew Goliath. He is public enemy number one to the Philistines. But the Bible says when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies will be at peace with him. And because he did not want to sin, God was working with him. And as a result, as a result, he went to King Achish, the king of the Philistines, and at first he had to feign himself to be insane. Okay? In order to get him, in order to be able to live there. Sometimes we do some things where we feel like, we're almost, are we crazy? What the heck are we doing? All right. But David had to feign himself to be insane to live there. But after being there for, for a long time, King Achish became David's great, David became his confidant. And the lords of the Philistines did not trust David, but Achish did. And the only thing David asked God was never let the Philistines go to war with Israel while I'm here. Okay, so I can be protected here because he would never go to war against Israel. And so like Jephthah, David fought wars for the Philistines in order to survive in that place. Some things that we do to survive people don't understand. Things that we do to be able to make it. I can't get any help in here. Has anybody here had to do some things that you say, God, I don't understand why I did it, but I had to do it to survive. Because if I didn't make that decision, I don't think I'd be standing today. Okay. So David, David now is, comes into such loving favor with King Achish, that Achish gives him a place called Ziglag to live. Ziglag is a place, it's a very, it's a very unusual place. It's a place like some of us have to go in a place of survival. And sometimes we go to an isolated place in trying to survive the storms of life. We go way out there in a place where people don't understand us, where nobody can see us, just a place where we can hide from everything and we just have to try to, to make it in that place. David was in that place for a long time. He was in Ziglag. It's taken very similar to a place, the Bible says in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, 
The Bible says, actually, 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says uh, about Ziglag that he held himself close when he hid from Saul. To hold himself close means that he held his emotions. He had to go to Ziglag to live there so that he could not take any revenge upon Saul. All right? Now, that brings us to where we are here. And today, I'm going to share with you, because the word of the Lord for you is that you're going to get back everything the enemy has stolen. And let me just tell you right now, you are in a season of divine reversal right now. You may not know this, but you're about ready to step into the divine reversal zone. Can I get a witness somewhere? You're about to take back some territory, and you're about to take back some things that the enemy has stolen out of your life. Say this with me. I'm getting ready to take back what the devil has stolen out of my life. Now, just really, really quickly, what I want to share with you, and I want you to see it. The Bible says, and it came to pass, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. We're almost finished, but I want you to see this here because God wants you to receive the deliverance from what the enemy has stolen because you're getting ready to take it back. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm getting ready to take it back. Okay. The Bible says here, and it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziglag, that the Amalekites invaded the south and Ziglag and smit, had smitten Ziglag and burnt it with fire and had taken the women captive and all that was therein. And they slew not any, either great nor small, but carried them away and went on their way. The scripture here tells us as we continue in the context. Now, I want you to see what's going on here. The first thing we need to see is that the um, Amalekites were the ones who invaded Ziglag. And as we um, begin in this time where we're coming near the time of Purim, this wonderful feast of the Lord that's coming up on March 20th, we're going to understand that the battle in the book of Esther is really a battle with Amalek and the Amalekites. But here we're going to see that the, that the destiny that the Amalekites really are destiny destroyers. They want to come and they want to take away the, the things that God has given you. Let me just explain to you. It says, and they went their way. The Bible says... And they went on their way. This thing, that, and they went on their way, is a phrase that was used even about Esau. He went his way when he, the Bible says he despised his birthright and he went his way. The Amalekites are descendants of Esau. And when it says he, that they went their way after they had stolen everything out of the city. We need to understand that that's a direct connect to Genesis chapter 25 and verse 34 when Esau went his way. What does it mean? Because Esau went that his way because he was, he was robbing. He was a stealer. He was a destiny despiser. And the Bible says, thus Esau despised his birthright. So when we look at the Amalekites, we can understand that the Amalekites are destiny despisers that want to take 
our destiny from us. So these robbing spirits that David had to face before he, uh, be, before he became king, it says right before he became king, that this uh, terrible thing occurred in Ziglag where all the men's wives were taken and the whole city was burnt with fire and everything was destroyed. That there are two things that happened for David to get it back. And I want to share with you how David got it back. The first thing that David did was he inquired of the Lord. And to inquire of the Lord doesn't just mean he prayed. To inquire of the Lord in this case, if you look at verse 6, the Bible says in verse 6, and the people, great David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. For every man was distressed for his sons and for his daughters. Because everybody was kidnapped out of that village. They were blaming David. All right? And the Bible tells us in verse 7, the last line of verse 6, the Bible says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. And how did he do that? He encouraged himself in the Lord because the Bible says in the next verse, he, uh, David said to Abiatar the priest, Abimelech's son, pray thee, I, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. Now what this means, bring me hither the ephod, because he's going to inquire of the Lord. Ahimelech's son, Abiathar, had his father's ephod. The ephod was connected to the breastplate on the high priest's garment. His father was murdered by King Saul for giving David refuge and for giving David bread. And, for, and actually, he gave King David, um, Ahimelech, the high priest of Israel, gave him the sword of, that was Goliath's sword. All right, so when he went to Ahimelech, Ahimelech protected him. But what I want you to see, beloved saints, is that the emphasis is on the ephod. The ephod was a garment that was attached to the breastplate. It was an anointed garment. And when the high priest of Israel wore this garment, God, uh, the high priest of Israel would pray, and he would pray to the Lord and put his hands on, on the high on the breastplate and God would light up the breastplate supernaturally with lights and on the breastplate because the breastplate was filled with the stones of the 12 tribes of Israel and inscribed inside the stones were the names of every tribe written in those stones how they got written inside the stones no one knows but the names of the tribes were written inside these gems and when the high priest of Israel needed to know which way does God want us to fight, how does God want to win the battle for Israel, the high priest of Israel would put his hand on the breastplate and pray and, and begin to recite God's name, and lights would come down from heaven and fall upon the breastplate, and the high priest of Israel had a special ruach, a special anointing to look at the letters inside the stones and to make out a message that God was giving, almost like interpreting tongues. He would put the letters together from all the stones and come out with a message on how God was going to deliver Israel. So David had 
the ephod with him while he was in Ziglag. And so David inquired of the Lord. Inquiring of the Lord is, I know I'm going to make it through the storm if God will just give me a word. If I can just get a word, I can get out of this place. And God wants you to know tonight that the first supernatural step to taking your stuff back is you've got to get a word from God. Because if you have a word, then you have a way. Put your hands up and say this with me. Father God, give me a word so I know what to do. Give me a word so I know how to get out of this. Give me a word so I have divine direction. Give me a word, God, so that I know what your anointing would have me do. I'm not going to the flesh. I'm not going to the world. I'm going to a word. Give me a word. Because if you have a word, you've got a way. So David, look at the word. Bible says, verse 8, David inquired at the Lord, meaning he asked, he asked Ahimelech. Look at verse 7. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son. Ahimelech is the a uh, high priest of Israel who is now with the Lord. All right, he says, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? He's asking God, and Abiathar is giving the answer. Because Abiathar is reading uh, those letters that are on the breastplate attached to the ephod. God is giving divine direction. It's lighting up. And David is getting a message exactly what to do. Say this with me. I don't have to be in the dark on what God wants me to do. I can inquire of the Lord because the breastplate now is the word of the living God. If I will just go into my word and begin to hear the prophetic word, God is going to give me directions out of this place and I will recover everything that the enemy stolen from my life. Can I get a witness somewhere? Okay. So the Bible tells us he asked and verse and verse 7 verse 8 the last line says and he said meaning God through Abiathar the priest of Israel you shall pursue go after the enemy pursue for you shall surely, look at the word, you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Touch your neighbor and say, that's my word for tonight. If I pursue the enemy and I go forward in what God's called me to do, then I'm going to recover everything that the devil has stolen out of my life. Say this with me. I'm going to recover everything that the enemy has stolen out of my life. I want you to understand what happened from this point. David is going to go out to war and he's going to fight against the Amalekites to get back what the enemy has stolen, but he doesn't know where the Amalekites are. He has no idea where they are. He has no idea where they're hiding the women and children and where they're hiding all of his stuff, where they're hiding everybody's belongings that they took out of Ziglag. I want you to know, you may not know right now where the enemy's hiding your stuff, but God's going to give you the anointing to go up and get it. Today, there's going to be a deliverance to take back 
what the enemy has stolen. Okay? Uh, this is how the divine providence works. If you take one step, God will do the rest. Touch your neighbor and say, once you take one step to, to take back your stuff, God will do the rest. Okay? He, he went, he asked God, should I go? God said, absolutely. Don't you dare let the devil take your stuff. Okay, touch your neighbor and say, absolutely, it's God's will for me to recover it. And absolutely, it's God's will for me to go into the battle and get it back. Hello, somebody, can I get a witness? Just for the sake, it's not just only for the stuff, but it's also for the sake of how dare you, devil, take God's stuff. How dare you take my ministry? How dare you take my crown? How dare you take my family? How dare you take my children? out with with 600 men 200 of them are way too weak they can't go okay and the bible says he's with 400 men that's quite unusual because he started out in the early days with 400 men these men that he's going with are selected men that are going to go and find the amalekites now he's going to need god's power to find out where are they say this with me i'm going to find out where the root is Say this with me. I'm going to find out where the devil's hiding my stuff, and I'm going to go and get it. So, come on, somebody. Put your hands up and say, I'm going to go after it. I'm going to find it because God's going to show me right where it is. Okay? That means God's going to show you. God's going to show you when it was taken, how it was taken, and you're going to have the grace to go back and to get it. All right? Maybe not physically, but surely by prayer by, by fasting, by whatever God shows you to do to get it back, all right? All right, so David sits out. He doesn't know where they're hiding, but all of a sudden his men find somebody in the field, one straggler in the field. The straggler in the field is an Egyptian. The men go up to him. He's panting. He doesn't have any breath. He's like out of breath. He's fainting. And the men of David take him and they give him some food to eat. They figure this guy's escaped from something. He looks like he's been running for days. So they give him some food and they begin to bring him back and they give him a lot of sweet things. They give him raisin cakes and they give him water and they get the guy back to life. And, the, and they say, where are you from? They say, oh, I'm an Egyptian and my servant, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a slave. I'm an Egyptian and my master is an Amalekite. And he said, yes, I'm all worn out because the Amalekites invaded this territory a few days ago and we just got done burning the city of Ziglag with fire. Hallelujah. That means God sent that little guy into the pathway of David to tell him exactly where his stuff was. God's about to take you to the place where your stuff is and he's going to show you exactly how to get it back. Somebody ought to say, I'm getting ready to get it back. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to give God the praise. Hallelujah. David, da David finds out that this guy, because he's with the men, and this little, um, this servant of the Amalekites says, yes. And they said, how about if you take us 
to where they took everything. Tell, t take us to the place where they're hiding right now. The young man says, swear to me that you're not going to kill me. They said, we swear. You just take us to where the Amalekites are. David followed the little guy and came to the Amalekites. And he saw everything there. As a matter of fact, the Amalekites, the Bible says, were dancing. And they were feasting with all David's stuff. Touch your neighbor and say, the devil might be feasting right now with some of my stuff, but there's going to be a surprise attack. Put your hands up right now and say, I'm getting ready for a surprise attack. A surprise attack. Oh, my God. Touch your neighbor and say, surprise attack. the last time that he came and attacked you that you'd never get back up again. He thought when he burned your zigzag that you could never survive the storm. He thought the last time that he took you down that you would never have the strength to recover from it again. But one thing the devil didn't know, the ephod was in your camp. I hope somebody understands what I'm about to say here. Touch your neighbor and say the devil thought he was taking me out, but he didn't know I had the ephod in my camp. You see, the ephod is going to cause you to come back. You're going to be able to take it back through the ephod of God's power. Somebody ought to shout in here. Watching the torches, watching, listening to the music, seeing his wives down there, seeing all the men, seeing their children down there, taken captive, seeing their horses, seeing their cattle, seeing all their goods, seeing everything that he's taken. The devil was having a heyday with it, but David lifted up his sword. Hallelujah. And David had a word. David fights and the Bible says hallelujah and David smote them verse 17 from the twilight even verse 17 from the twilight to the evening of the next day that means you got to be relentless once you find out where the devil has your stuff you can't stop you've got to fight the good fight of faith that means by faith you've got to pursue this thing You've got to say, I don't care how long it is. I'm going to be in a battle for a certain amount of time. Now listen, hear the word of the Lord. Your day might not be 24 hours because sometimes day in the Hebrew language means a certain amount of time. 
It may not mean 24 hours. For David, it was 24 hours. But tomorrow may not mean for you 24 hours. Tomorrow may mean in six months. It may mean that your battle needs to be relentless until you've taken back every single thing that the devil has stolen out of your life. You're not going to stop till you get it back. You're not going to stop until the devil starts releasing one thing after another. thing that David did, he not only recovered all, look at verse 19. Hallelujah. Verse 18 says, and David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives. Verse 19, and there was nothing lacking to them, neither great nor small. Hallelujah. Neither spoil or anything that had taken. Now guess what else? Are you ready? All right. David not only recovered everything that was his, and everything that belonged to all of those who were had it stolen. But David also took some spoil from the enemy. Touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, I will get some blessings out of this battle. Touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm not going through this for nothing. I'm going to take some stuff, not only the stuff that's mine, but I'm going to take some stuff from the enemy. Say this with me. I'm going to come out of this with more influence, with more power, with more blessings, with more anointing, with more wisdom. In the mighty name of Jesus, I want to give God some praise. They come back, they got so much stuff. Okay, they're coming back with a long train. Okay, they're coming back with not just with what they left, they're coming back with their wives, they're coming back with their children, they're coming back with their goods, they're coming back with everything the devil stole, but now they got some other stuff too. Okay, they've got horses from the enemy, they've got saddles from the enemy, they've got diamonds from the enemy's camps, whatever kind of jewels they were wearing in those days. They've got chariots from the enemy, hello somebody. They've got spears from the enemy. Say this with me, I'm going into the enemy's camp confiscate some of his weapons of war. I'm going to confiscate his weapons of war. Now, as a result, as a result of this, David came back extremely enriched. Okay? David came back, not just with his stuff. When you come out of the battle, you're not just coming back with your stuff. After you come out of this trial, it's not just getting your stuff back. That's just the bottom, that's just the baby stuff, okay? That's, that's a miracle, that's a big miracle, but that's, that's not where it ends. Okay, you're coming back with what the enemy has and you're gonna take it from him. You're coming back with blessings out of the battle. Let me explain this principle to you. This was a principle that was established by Moses. 
When the children of Israel went to war, it was Torah law that they would come back with spoils from the war. They wouldn't just come back with victory. They came back with enrichment. You're going to come back with wisdom. You're going to come back with anointing. You're going to come back with power. You're going to come back with promotion. You're going to come back with doors opened. You're going to come back with things that you never thought that God was going to give you. You're going to be able to take it back. All right. And you know what David did with those spoils? There were so many. Sons of Belial were there. 200 men that were there that were too weak to go to war. David wanted to give them the spoils because they didn't go, but they, they stayed back and they protected because they were too weak. David said, you're all going to get some spoils too. And some of the men in the camp said, no, we, they didn't go to war. They don't deserve it. But David said, no way, they're getting it. Okay, David's righteousness is just, his integrity is beyond. What David did was, this was the, God allowed this to happen, not only to bless David with increase, but this had to be done before he was crowned king. Because little did David know that within a few weeks, Saul would be dead. And David would be anointed king over Judah. And so in order for everyone in Judah to understand why is David whom we all love, who is the greatest warrior in Israel, why is he living in the land of the Philistines? Why is he with King Achish? Raising questions in the entire nation. Is he the traitor that Saul made him out to be? Well, right before he becomes king, David gets these spoils and you know what he does? There are 14 cities in Judah. He sent the spoils, not for himself, but he sent them to all the leaders in every city in Judah. He enriched them, okay? He enriched them with, with gold, with silver, with cattle, with everything that he brought back in abundance. It had to be astronomical for 14 cities to be enriched because that's where he sent 14 cities in Judah. And this was the very thing that was needed for the people of Judah to say, he never really did betray us. He is, he is like a king. He's, he's got the traits of a king. And he's not out here for his kingdom. He's out here to rule in righteousness. So that as soon as Saul was dead, within days, the men of Judah came and they took the oil and they anointed David king over Judah. Can I get a witness somewhere? Thank you for joining us today. It is our prayer that this word broke bondages and will open doors for you. If you have never received Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, invite him now to be your Lord and Savior and best friend. Repeat this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Wash me clean from all my sins. I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you soon.